Hey everyone, welcome back to another Meet Kevin Report. Today's episode 47, a lot to cover today. Uh, we obviously have to talk about the banking contagion and the disaster that just happened with Silicon Valley Bank. And uh, obviously we already covered what happened with Silvergate, but now we're starting to get the potential result of what a banking crisis looks like. And it's not one that we really want to talk about. This is sort of the black swan thing that people like to talk about. So we got some serious uh, talks to have. Uh, it is worth noting the market is uh, already very unhappy about this. Uh, that should be pretty obvious. But uh, you'll notice not only did stocks basically plummet yesterday, but yields also fell. Uh, you'll see that the 10-year bond is sitting at 3.833 right now. It's down about uh, almost 30 basis points from uh, where, where we were trading uh, just about a week ago, which was remarkable. And uh, the expectation about the Federal Reserve's terminal rate have also just fallen because of uh, this banking disaster. So we're going to talk about the banking disaster. Uh, we'll start with that, and then we're going to get into the jobs report, which comes out uh, in about 24 minutes. So let's go ahead and start with the Silicon Valley Bank hell, and it's, uh, it's really not good. All right, ready? Here we go. A banking crisis uh, might be in front of us. Silicon Valley Bank is a complete disaster and it should scare you. This is the 15th largest bank and it basically used to, probably still at this point does, but not for long, back about half of all Silicon Valley startups. Silicon Valley and startups are notorious for losing money and in tough times going bankrupt, basically potentially being vampire companies that if they don't have a product that can cash flow, end up sucking more cash out of the systems only to potentially go bankrupt. And unfortunately... One of the first banks uh, exposed to the Silicon Valley startup world is going under. Well, at least they say they're not going under, but and some people actually think it's a buying opportunity, but I think they've lost their mind because this is really bad. Let's go ahead and cover what's going on. So let me give you a little bit of background first. Basically, there's a banking world where what banks like to do is they take customer deposits, and then what they do with those deposits is they invest them in things to collect yields, basically to yield farm, if you will. And what a lot of banks did is they would take deposits and then they put that money into bonds. And they would those bonds would vary. They could be uh, treasury bonds, shorter duration ones, not very risky, right? If you put your money into six month, 12 months, 18 month bonds, little risk because you could just hold those bonds and take money from them, right, over time. And when you need the cash, the money shows up in 6, 12, 18 months. But what happens if you've committed to, let's say, mortgage bonds and you've committed a lot, and I mean billions of dollars, to mortgages, which are much longer in duration, like commercial bonds, which might be 10, 20 years, residential bonds, which could be as long as 30 years. Well, all of a sudden, when interest rates go up, the value of your bonds plummet. And that means your balance sheet has what are known as unrealized losses. And when you need to raise money, you might have to start realizing some of those losses. That's exactly what just happened at a Silicon Valley bank. And it's leading to potential fears that we could see a bank run where people basically go to the bank and say, we're taking all of our money out of the bank because we don't trust you anymore. The problem, though, is if everybody starts withdrawing their money from the 15th largest bank, what does that mean for the rest of the banking system? Well, let me give you a little hint. It's bad news. Yesterday, $90 billion of banking market cap 
evaporated on the market. And that is because institutions are very fearful about what just happened with Silicon Valley Bank. Now, this is different. I want to be very clear. It's very different from Silvergate. Silvergate was a community bank in California, much smaller, that helped provide liquidity in the crypto space. It basically let banks uh, or, or gave people an on and off ramp to go from dollars to crypto. 24-7 was their pitch. They're liquidating. They're closing down their bank. Well, just a day after Silvergate suggests, you know what? We can't survive anymore. We've got to close down our bank. Who's, who falls next? Well, now potentially the 15th largest bank. Now, before we go into some of the financials, I want you to know some of the background of what's going on. Peter Thiel has, has a uh, venture capital fund, and he started telling all of his companies to withdraw their money from Silicon Valley Bank. The more people withdraw their money from the bank, the less cash the bank has. Since banks generally invest their money into something that might be upside down when people demand cash, what happens? The bank has to take more losses on loans or bonds or whatever they have. When the bank takes more losses, then eventually they might default on their own borrowings, on their own obligations. And when a company with what used to be $210, $211 billion of assets starts defaulting on some of their own debt, guess who starts taking the L then? Well, potentially companies like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, other big companies, and big banks. That's when you really start having potentially systemic issues. There's a reason why Bill Ackman is suggesting that the Federal Reserve should actually bail out Silver, uh, uh, Sil uh, Silicon Valley Bank. How crazy is that? Right back to 2008 bailout world because we are concerned about the consequences of a bank run at one company potentially spreading. But it's not just Peter Thiel who suggests, you know what, there's relatively low risk of you taking your money out of a bank, but you don't want to be the last person standing. Why would you take the non-zero risk of potentially losing your capital at a bank if you could just withdraw your money and go put it in a safer place? Remember, anytime you have more than $250,000 at a bank, you're generally over the FDIC limits. Now, I say generally because sometimes you can have your money divided up by something like Robinhood where they divide your money into multiple banks for you. But what's remarkable here is not just the $90 billion banking wipeout, but the fear that is spreading. Peter Thiel suggests people take their money out of Silicon Valley Bank. Not only that, but you've got venture firm Tribe Capital advising companies move some or all of their balances out of the bank as soon as possible because the risk of a default and essentially being the last person standing without any money and then you get caught up in litigation for years to try to get pennies on your dollar back is non-zero. In other words, get out. There's another capital company sending emails and text messages urgently imploring their CEOs to move money out of Silicon Valley Bank. This is a classic bank run. That's what this is. This is a bank run. So you have the 15th largest bank in America now going through a bank run during a Fed-induced recession. So why is the market pissed? Well, the market's really pissed because this is exactly the kind of black swan event that everyone is worried about that could potentially take down a greater portion of the financial system. That's very scary. That's why you have Bill Ackman saying, hey, 
we need to bail this company out because if we don't, things could actually end up being worse. That's scary. But think about this. If you really want to see why markets are fearful, all you have to do is not look at stock prices. Look at what the bond market is telling you. The bond market was telling you, ah, the Fed's probably going to raise rates 50 basis points soon. Ah, the terminal rate's going to go up to 5.6. Oh, break-even inflation rates are rising. What actually happened? All of those reversed. Break-even inflation rates on the five-year plummeted about 45 basis points yesterday. That's a big deal. That means we were starting to show signs of potentially inflation expectations running away, which is really bad for inflation. Potentially shows that, uh-oh, Paul Volcker's got to come to town soon because inflation's being sticky. Uh-oh, nope. Those inflation expectations plummeted, but they didn't plummet because inflation is now all of a sudden not a problem anymore. They're plummeting because of fears about real financial distress in the banking sector, the last place you want to hear about a crisis because that's what led to the 2008 crisis, a real estate bubble that led to a failure of financial institutions. That's scary. Listen to Bill Ackman, for example. Bill Ackman tweeted, to be clear, a bailout should be designed to protect Silicon Valley bank depositors, not equity holders. So he's already having to defend this argument that the government should guarantee Silicon Valley Bank. He says the failure of Silicon Valley Bank could destroy an important long-term driver of the economy as venture-backed companies rely on Silicon Valley Bank for loans and holding their operating cash. In other words, Bill Ackman is starting to say, look, Silicon Valley Bank goes away and they stop providing loans to venture capital. Well, then Silicon Valley goes bust and all the people who think they're rich in Silicon Valley, they go bust. They stop spending money. They stop spending money. Good luck at earnings for companies in the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ. This is exactly the kind of black swan you want to avoid. And so this is why Bill Ackman says, if private capital can't provide a solution, a highly dilutive government-preferred bailout should be considered. You literally have Bill Ackman, the guy who went on CNBC screaming that we should lock down the entire economy for 30 days to stop the spread of COVID, just shut everything down. While he's actively shorting the market, he's on CNBC yelling, shut everything down. He basically perfectly made the bottom of the market. March 23rd of, uh, of 2020, the same person is now saying the government should bail out Silicon Valley Bank. The same person. Now, this is insane because not only is he calling for this kind of bailout, but what's actually really interesting is <laughs> Jim Cramer made a, a CNBC video just a few days ago. He had a piece on uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And unfortunately, much like Bear Stearns suggested, Silicon Valley Bank is potentially a buying opportunity before it lost 60% yesterday and another 50% in pre-market right now. This is eerily similar in ways that you don't want it to be similar to 2008 and to the collapse of Bear Stearns. Bear Stearns was about a $40 to $50 stock when Jim Cramer told us your money is safe with Bear Stearns. And what ended up happening? The company ended up being bailed out by JP Morgan for $10 per share. Massive collapse from that point. The same thing is now happening with Silicon Valley Bank. It was almost the kiss of death for Silicon Valley Bank.
But it's not just that. It's the financials. I want you to see the financials of how dirty these financials actually are and what the company is doing and why the stock is falling as much as it is. So take a look here. This document right here shows you, first of all, I wrote some notes at the top in terms of uh, some, some losses here that have been happening with the stock. But first, I want you to look at this. Today, we took strategic actions to strengthen our financial position. Basically, we's running out of money. But not only are we running out of money, the company sold substantially all of their available for sale securities portfolio with the intention of reinvesting the proceeds and commenced an underwritten public offering. In other words, the company is scrambling to raise $2.25 billion, $1.25 billion from shares, $500 million from another private company, General Atlantic, who's investing $500 million, and then a bond raise. In other words, the company, as of yesterday's market cap, is scrambling to raise one-third of the company's value in cash just to try to stay afloat. That's very bad. Very bad. And look, they provide a lot of liquidity for Silicon Valley and startups, but that liquidity is now gone because the company doesn't have any money anymore. Now, could this have been seen? How could you see things like this potentially coming? Well, the beautiful thing is you could go into their earnings and you could see where these losses actually mount up. And it's kind of scary to look at, but we'll take a look at exactly it because these are the things that if you're exposed to banking stocks, you potentially want to start paying attention to. So first thing we have to do is we're going to go to the uh, Q4 report from Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley Bank Q4, and we can jump on over to page 14 of the Silicon Valley Q4 report. And I want you to see what you have over here. So this is page 14 of Q4. And what I want you to know is this company just took an over $1.8 billion loss on their available securities. And what I want you to see here is the net income for this company. The net income for this company uh, on an annual basis was $1.5 billion last year, $1.77 the year before that. They just, in one fell swoop, lost over one year of income. Okay, It's not just that, though. Because even though they may have taken around a $2 billion loss, that's just the beginning because their losses are actually substantially greater than that. And you could see, unfortunately, similar things in the banking sector and other areas as well, which I'll show you. So now we're going to go to the annual report and we're going to look at page 64. So what do we have at page 64? Well, page 64 shows you where this company, this is Silvergate, has unrealized losses. So what banks are allowed to do is they're allowed to show you, hey, look, we have a lot of bonds and security holdings. See, here are some of our residential bonds. Here are some of our commercial bonds. Here are some uh, of the, the other uh, agency bonds that we have. These could be like to Ginnie Mae, Fannie Mae. Wh where these bonds are doesn't so much matter. But what's scary are the potential unrealized losses that this company has. And what you're going to find is they have losses in excess of $15 billion. And when we go to their balance sheet, this is a company that doesn't have the ability to sustain those forms of losses. I'm going to grab that uh, one second here. Let's see. Where is my document? Give me one second to make sure I can pull up the exact pages because I want you to see these. But for some reason, 
I'm having a little bit of a technical issue actually getting to that page, which is very unfortunate because I would like to get you that document. Uh, we've got jobs data obviously coming up shortly here. Uh, here we go. Okay, got it. Stand by. It's on the Q4, page 15. Okay, watch this. Uh, okay. Hold on. I had sorry, I had so many technical issues this morning with with this synchronization. This is why I don't like traveling. It just ruins ruins my my flow. It's, everything doesn't sync right. I'm sorry. All right, here we go. My lord. Sorry, this is embar embarrassing myself. Okay, here we go. Take a look at this. This is the actual Q4 right here. And what you could see right here is the hell to maturity securities show an actual value of a $76 billion. But they're actually showing them on their balance sheet at $91 billion. So this is how the banking system can literally lie to you in your face. They will tell you on their balance sheet, look, we have $91 billion in available capital from these held to maturity securities like those bonds that I showed you. Oh, but in this footnote over here, we're actually going to let you know that that's actually only worth $76 billion. That difference is an unrealized $15 billion of losses at the 15th largest bank in the country. That's because they're yielding maybe about 1.9% on the average of their bond portfolio. Well, free risk-free rates right now are sitting around 4%. In order to sell off these bonds to raise cash, you basically have to give the bonds away. And why would you have to sell bonds? Well, you have to sell bonds when people stop depositing money with your bank. And guess what? Startups don't have money to deposit with your bank anymore. So now, not only are you running out of the potential deposits that basically fund your Ponzi, but people are actively being told to as quickly as possible withdraw money from Silicon Valley Bank. Now, JP Morgan wouldn't have been any use to you, unfortunately, because take a look at this that I saw on Twitter. Somebody posted this from November 15th of 2022, and they wrote, they provided this JP Morgan piece, which gave an overrate weighting of this stock of $375, and they bragged about how even though this company has unrealized losses, this company is probably going to see a massive inflow of client funds, and the exact opposite is happening. So in other words, you had JP Morgan covering for Silicon Valley Bank, which is now, I mean, the stock's trading for, for a, a fraction of what it has been trading for. So right now, Silicon Valley Bank is trading for $106. In pre-market, it is actually down to $36. The day before yesterday, it was trading for $267. And it had a price target from JP Morgan of over $100 more than that of $375. So in other words, JP Morgan was telling the world, Oh, don't worry. This bank's going to get massive inflows. It's worth $375. Not only is it worth $375, but we know it's only trading for $275 right now. And don't worry about all the unrealized losses the company has. Don't worry. It's fine. They'll get massive inflows from their clients. Well, now not only are they not getting deposits, they're basically suffering a bank run. People are running to the door, the exits, as you should. I would not be speculating on this bank. I'd be getting my money out of uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank if I had any money exposed to them or any of the other companies that they're in, uh, involved with. I, I personally would recommend getting my money out. But anyway, 
So you have a stock trading for in the 260s that JP Morgan says is worth 375 because don't worry, money's going to come in. Then money stops coming in. The Ponzi stops. The stock goes down to 100 bucks. Now it's down to $36 at the same time as the company is trying to raise a third of their yesterday market cap. Okay, but wait a minute. If the stock is now down another two thirds, that means they're basically trying to raise as much money as their market cap. They're going to crush this stock. This is like Rivian all over again, except it's in the banking sector. And rather than just a car company going bankrupt, where you have a car company that's worth $15 billion, supposedly, that needs to raise another $15 billion to survive, rather than just having a car company going bankrupt, this could really have systemic issues for the entire financial system. And this is why bond yields are actually falling. This is why expectations are, uh-oh, the Fed's not going to go 50 because they could actually break what's turning out to be a fragile banking system. This is scary. Not only is it scary because you think, okay, well, it's just Silicon Valley Bank. Like, who cares, right? It's worse than that. I want you to see three pages from the JP Morgan annual report. And in my opinion, this is scary. Okay, you ready for this? I don't like this. I don't like reporting bad news. But look at this. First, I want you to look at this. JP Morgan on their balance sheet shows $185 billion that they have lent out to other institutions. They also hold health to maturity securities, much like Silicon Valley Bank did of somewhere around $600 billion right here. But be careful because securities borrowed means securities or, or, or like bonds or, or whatever, things they've lent out to other companies. It's an asset. That's how you know. See, assets. That's how you know it's lent to someone else. Well, what happens if a Silicon Valley Bank has to start defaulting on stuff they've borrowed? Well, then JP Morgan potentially starts getting hit. And what if they have to start raising money? Well, then you have a big oopsie doopsie. Why do you have an oopsie doopsie? Because JP Morgan as well has massive unrealized losses. Look at this, folks, right here. Unrealized gains slash losses on investment securities, $11.7 billion. But it gets worse. Ready for this? We go to, we go to, I mean, this, this is like insane. It's, it's like borderline fraudulent. You ready for this? Look at this over here. So that's just the available for sale securities losses, right? Watch this chart. This is from JP Morgan, December 31st. JP Morgan. This isn't Silicon Valley Bank anymore. This is JP Morgan. Look at this. This column here is unrealized gains. This column here is unrealized losses, which means they're actually not showing up on net loss yet. They're just sitting on those losses. Oh, it ain't a loss until you sold. Well, what if you suffer a bank run or other banks stop, start losing their capital or defaulting on their obligations to you, JP Morgan? Well, watch this. You ready for this? Follow that column, okay? The left side is unrealized gains. The right side is unrealized losses. You ready for this? Unrealized gains, 995 million. Unrealized losses, 47.9 billion dollars of unrealized losses at JP Morgan. 47.9 billion dollars of unrealized losses. You think that the, the 15 billion over there at Silicon Valley Bank is bad. JP Morgan's got three, over three times as much in unrealized losses. Now, Hopefully, J.P. Morgan and the other banks don't hit any kind of banking crisis or bank run because then you'll really got oopsie-doopsie problems. Now, I don't think so, but let me put it this way. You got to pay attention to Silicon Valley Bank. This is not a matter of some stock that you wish you shorted two days ago. Everyone and their mom wishes they shorted it two days ago, okay? That's not the issue. 
the issue it, nobody really cares about silicon valley bank other than people who have deposits there and and some of the venture capital folks who are like damn it there goes our easy money i mean quite frankly money is still so easy which is insane the fact that you could have an ai startup called character ai which is just two employees who left google who worked in the ai department start a company and andreessen horowitz gives them a 250 million dollar cash bundle at over a billion dollar valuation that shows you how frothy the market still is it's absolutely insane this is really bad this is the start of what a black swan looks like it's the beginning of the dominoes falling it's really bad we don't yet know all of the implications of this but you need to pay attention to this whether you're exposed or not bad jobs data you ready for this all right here we go now we got to do jobs data all right Jobs, 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 jobs. Stand by for jobs. All right, 10 seconds for the report. All right, we're expecting 225 for total non-farm payrolls. Here we go. We're expecting 225 and an unemployment rate of 3.4. Average hourly earnings month over month to be 0.3. Come on, man. Come in soft. Okay, we have 311. It's really hot. That's bad. That's not what we wanted to hear. Unemployment rate actually ticked up, though. That's weird. Uh, oh, thank God. Average hourly earnings, 0.2. Oh, thank God. Oh, it's a saving grace. Average hourly earnings month over month came in low at 0.2. Thank God. Headline unemployment number came in at 311, uh, 311 though. That's almost 100,000 jobs hot. Uh, it's about 80, 84,000 jobs hot. That's insane. Uh, that's the total change in non-farm payrolls comes in really hot again at 311. You have the change in private payrolls coming in at 265. The expectation was 215. That's really hot. You have the unemployment rate actually ticked up to 3.6% from 3.4. I'm not sure what kind of funny math the BLS is doing there. We'll look at the report. Average hourly earnings coming in, thank goodness, thank goodness, at 0.2% as opposed to 0.3%. The last thing we need is, is, is more pain there. Uh, we're just now getting the revisions uh, year over year. Average hourly earnings coming at 4.6% versus the expectation of 47 Whew. Okay, at least at least no wage price spiral. That's good. Wage uh, now we've got uh, labor force participation rate ticks up 0.1 percent. That's probably why the unemployment rate moved. Uh, now you do have a slight revision of the prior data. You are moving the 517,000 payrolls from January down to 504. That's a nominal revision. So nominal revision. So uh, this is a I would say good news and bad news report. Let's go to the uh, BLS labor report jobs. Let's go ahead and actually pull up the uh, report here. But uh, I would say let me see what other revisions we've got coming in here. This is you've got again okay with change in manufacturing negative four thousand. The expectation was ten k. Uh, so you're seeing manufacturing payroll suffer. Uh, that is uh, uh, definitely an indication of uh, recession coming. But then again, we've been talking about indications of recession coming. I mean, it, everything is pointing to recession right now. And this is why people are so worried about the Federal Reserve continuing to hike, especially in the face of bank runs and potentially a financial crisis. That's the last thing you want on this market. But anyway, uh, unemployment rate, uh, again, 3.6%. That's up from 3.4%. And that average hourly earnings report, Ooh, that's that's good. No no great news though on the revisions. Basically, still guiding high on the uh, on the prior uh, uh, January report, which is not fantastic, but is what it is. Now, uh, what we're also going to do is look at what Wall Street is saying. So uh, let's see here. Uh, payroll gains were led by leisure and hospitality, retail trade, government and healthcare. That's exactly what you would expect. 
Now you have uh, previous two months of payrolls were revised down by 34,000. That's the previous two months. I gave you the revision for the previous one month. But again, that's very, very nominal. Uh, but that does, uh, that does slightly, rev at least it's a revision down, right? So let's look at the bright side. It's a revision down, not a revision up, right? Now, it does look like you're also seeing treasury yields fall on this. This is very interesting. Uh, yep, treasury yields, 10-year treasury yield is now down 12 basis points. Okay, this is enough for, I mean, there is there is entirely the possibility that with the, the if, if we get a, a nominal CPI report like this suggests, there is entirely the possibility that with the financial stress that you're seeing in the banking system now, it is entirely possible that the Federal Reserve actually pauses and says, uh-oh, uh we're going to just uh, pause for a moment and wait and see because maybe there actually is a lag. Uh, it, yeah. Okay, two-year treasury yield now down 16.4 basis points. Again, now you're actually starting to see the recipe of what recession feels like. Uh, it, it, it's actually finally starting to happen where you're starting to see uh, – you're still seeing job gains again in that the leisure hospitality stuff, but that's underemployed. You're still below trend. But if inflation goes away and now you're worried about financial stability, that's bad. Uh, that's now you're going from the fear of inflation to the fear of, of an actual financial crisis. All right. Uh, at the same time, by the way, I'm going to just, uh, sorry about that. I'm going to keep up here. What wall street is saying. Okay. Uh, don't see a lot of payroll declines in these reports lately, but remember payroll, extremely uh, lagging treasury yields dropping across the entire curve. Uh, it does look like you have, uh, with a move of 36 basis, a hike of, okay, let's see here. I mean, I, I don't want to come across as actually suggesting that like the market's really going to say, oh, the Fed's going to pause. I'm just saying there's a possibility when you when you start getting no impetus of inflation combined with this banking disaster that's going on. Anyway, total non-farm payroll increased $311,000, edged up, uh, the unemployment rate edged up to 3.6. Again, it's because participation rate moved up 0.1%. Hispanic unemployment, 5.3. Uh, that's an increase. Uh, you've got, uh, let's see here, unemployment rate for adult men, 3.3, 3.2 for women. Okay, black unemployment rates the highest at 5.7, Asians 3.4, whites 3.2. Why there's such a difference is, is something that hopefully goes away at some point. Anyway, the number of persons uh, jobless less than five weeks increased 343,000, offsetting a decrease in the prior month. This is very interesting. These are new layoffs right here, right? Uh, less than five weeks, that means n those are brand new people who just got laid off. And that number decreased in the prior month. This is the pool. This is the entire pool of people who have been laid off less than five weeks. That just shot up by $340,000. So you are seeing the pain in the labor market when you actually look at the details. Yes, I understand the headline number is going up, but the headline number is only going up because you still have severe unemployment uh, or underemployment in sectors. Consider healthcare, for example. Uh, let me let me just draw this so you, so you can understand this because uh, so, sometimes people don't, don't understand it. If this is the trend of healthcare employment going up, right? Let me actually just draw that. If that's the trend of healthcare employment going up, uh, because of the pandemic, we saw healthcare employment rotate down and now we're kind of back to those 2019 levels, right? If you kind of draw like this, you're back to those 2019 levels. But where we should be still represents a 900,000 job gap just for healthcare. That's just healthcare. And again, the, the leading job gains here so far are leisure and healthcare, uh, hospitality, retail, right? That makes sense. Okay, let's look at the actual details here. 
these individuals, okay, these are, okay, what do we have here? This is number of persons employed part-time for economic reasons at uh, 4.1 was essentially unchanged, no news here. Number of people not in the labor force who currently want a job unchanged, 5.1. This is how you get, by the way, Jerome Powell's uh, jolts uh, ratio, right? We've got about, we just got the uh, jolts report that came in hot at 10.8. So we got 10.8 million job openings. And then people who want a job at, at 5.1, that uh, that puts you at, at a ratio of over two, right? Jerome Powell wants that to be in balance at one-to-one. But it's just weird because you're getting the layoffs on, on one side, especially tech, right? Uh, and and at white collar, it's kind of being somewhat called the white collar recession. Uh, but you're still getting hiring like crazy. Look at this. Uh, notable job gains occurred, leisure, hospitality, retail trade, government, healthcare, employment declined in transportation, warehousing. This is very male dominant, and these sectors are very female dominant. So transportation, warehousing, construction, uh, you're you're probably 70% male. Uh, the stat from the Wall Street Journal, leisure, hospitality, that's over 60% women. So you can actually see more women going back to work after the pandemic who previously decided to stay home uh, f- to take care of children because they had to, because they didn't have childcare or whatever, you know, pandemic forces, or they retired from the healthcare industry, whatever. A lot more people potentially going back to work, now going back to work at higher wages, especially in this area here. Look at that. 105,000 jobs in leisure and hospitality, similar to the average monthly gain of 91,000 over the past six months. Food and service and drinking places at its 70,000 jobs. Employment continued to trend up in accommodation, 14,000 employment, leisure, hospitality. Look at that. You're still below your pre-pandemic level by 410,000. So remember, I told you healthcare, 900,000 below trend. Well, over here, this is not even below trend. This is below pre-pandemic levels. So in other words, you're still 410,000 jobs short in leisure and hospitality. That doesn't even consider that you usually have trend growth. This is a disaster. Uh, This is a complete disaster. Then you have employment in retail trade rising by 50,000 in February. Merchandise retailers, 39,000. Again, these are still under trend. Employment and professional and business services continue to trend up. We see what else Wall Street is starting to say here. You can start to see some of the labor market softness in the data. Number of people who lost their jobs or completed temp work increased 223,000. Number of people employed less than five weeks, 343. That's what we pointed out. Dollar strength is touching session lows. That makes sense. The dollar falls when yields fall. Another encouraging point here is the increase in the labor force participation rate, that tick up, absolutely right. Only two out of 61 economists, you can't listen to these predictions at all, man. These predictions are just either either rigged or just nobody, nobody can predict stuff in this market right now because it's such a crapshoot. But anyway, it says only two out of 61 economists predicted a 0.2 reading for that gain in average hourly earnings. That is the only piece of good news today. Everything else is hell today. I I guarantee you that banking contagion is an SH9T show. That is very, very bad, Uh, especially with those unrealized losses, even at companies like JP Morgan. Now, don't get me wrong. Big banks go through much more of a stress testing than small banks, but still, only two out of 61 economists actually hit 0.2. That's insane. Uh, yeah, no, no, nobody knows what the hell's going on. Anyway, employment, okay, healthcare added 44K. We still know, again, we're 900K below trend there. Construction grew, uh, 24,019 social assistance. Information technology, there's your tech. Look at that. 
so so you hear about all these popular tech layoffs, right? Like Facebook or whatever. Okay, so the employment report tells you 25,000 jobs were lost in, in tech, right? I just want you to understand, look at this number here. Leisure and hospitality added 105,000 in the same month. You added four times more jobs in leisure and hospitality alone than you lost in tech. So you hear about all these tech layoffs. It's a drop in the bucket. Complete drop in the bucket. Transportation warehousing down 22K, 9,000 in trucking and transportation. You've got, uh, let's see here, employment, little change over here. Average hourly earnings, this is fantastic, 0.2%. Year over year, 4.6%. Fantastic. Average work week for all employees edged down. That's good. That's a, that's a sign of not overheating. It's a sign that pricing power is going away uh, for, for wage earners. But this is consistent with what we're seeing in the leading data. With the leading data, earnings calls, folks. Everybody gets mad. We're going to go back to the report in a moment. Everybody gets mad at me when I say it. They're like, no, Kevin, Kevin the government reports. Like, the government reports are so lagging. You got to look at what companies are doing. Tyson Food, on one hand, bragging about how they're able to raise prices last year. Tyson Foods. They, they, they sell frozen chicken, okay? They're bragging about how they could raise, how much pee-pee they have was what they were arguing about. Now they're like, oh, yeah, wages went up, but we can't raise prices anymore. In fact, we had to do some massive abnormal discounting of chicken because we didn't think people would just stop buying chicken, but uh, I guess people stopped buying chicken. Yeah. Not only that, but Chipotle um, is finding it easier to hire. Starbucks finding it easier to hire. Target. Costco, all of these companies are hiring less people and focusing more on, even Walmart saying it, they're all focusing on autonomy and efficiency and productivity, not on hiring more. The hiring boom is, is, is not in Staples anymore. Yes, it is still in healthcare and leisure and hospitality. However, it is easier to hire there now. And other things that you don't actually capture in these sort of reports is the removal of perks and signing bonuses. Healthcare used to give people five to $10,000 as a signing bonus just to get people to sign on to take a job. That's over. You don't do those signing bonuses anymore because you don't have to. Remember tech, how everybody on TikTok used to brag about all these perks that they had working for their perky tech companies? Folks, what is this? Listen to this. The Wall Street Journal literally has a title. The perk session is underway. Now, when I first read that, I don't, you can't blame me, but when I first read that, I thought they were going to talk about like people's like breast sizes going down or something like that over time or something. No, they're not talking about boobs. They're talking about the ping pong tables have turned. That's their lame line here. But anyway, companies are cutting back on prized employee perks from fancy coffee and free cab rides. Yeah, you're still getting the traditional healthcare and retirement, but these other forms of, of uh, compensation like free laundry, dry cleaning, special coffee, baristas, extra days off, like Salesforce was giving employees a wellness day off, like a paid day off to just go home and do whatever you want sitting in your bedroom. Uh, and all these perks basically going away now because employees don't have pricing power anymore, baby. It's over. This is called recession. Employees don't got no PP no more. Uh, you know, Meta getting rid of uh, as much of their, their dining compensation. Uh, paid birthdays used to exist. Those are starting to go away. This is very normal. On a daily basis, we are now seeing more and more evidence that employees do not have pricing power. And that is exactly what this labor report is showing. So if you're looking for good news today, and I understand, listen, I want employees to make more money, but I want to be very, very clear. 
<laughs> Brandon says, what kind of research were you trying to do? <laughs> I was reading the Wall Street Journal, okay? Anyway, uh, <laughs> they're pretty good. Okay, I like the Wall Street Journal. Uh, but, but anyway, this is a sign that pricing power for employees is gone. And the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics is finally starting to catch on. Thank God. Because imagine if we combine a wage price spiral with a financial crisis. We'd be screwed. Best case scenario, Silicon Valley Bank and all these, these over levered banks, they go bankrupt, leave the big banks alone, JPM, Bank of America or whatever. They'll get hit. They'll suffer losses. People keep coming to me, especially you, you all know I have course member live streams. I think I get asked at least once a week, why don't I invest in the banks? At least I get asked once a week from course members, Kevin, I want to invest in the banks. Why aren't you investing in the banks? Why aren't you investing in the banks? And you know what my answer is? Every single time, you can look at the entire archive of my course member live streams. Course members will attest to this. It's a coupon down the, below, by the way, for St. Patty's Day. Uh, what, and you can start using it now. What is every? What do I always say? My response is, I don't touch financials in a recession because I have no idea what the hell is happening to those loans. And this is exactly what's happening here. I don't touch financials in a recession. No, thank you. I do not go near them. Oh, good Lord. Uh, yes, employee PP is shrinking. This pricing power going away for employees. Look, again, I don't want to see employees like lose money. I don't want to see people get fired because it hurts people, okay? I do have sympathy for people, okay? I, I, like when I grew up, we had single $20 bills left over. We basically almost went through foreclosure. My dad fed, did something known as feeding the kitty where you basically like you, you we sold we had to sell our law, uh, our home because our jobs lost, went through divorce, is hell, had no money. Uh, and he basically took the last amount of money he had to do the right thing and actually well, I shouldn't say do the right thing because that's an offense to people who who go through foreclosure, but but he didn't want to rip the bank off uh, in his opinion. That was his opinion. And so he took all of the leftover savings we had and paid the loss to sell the home. It was like our last 20K or whatever. And we were down to nothing just to avoid a foreclosure. Anyway, so uh, average uh, work, uh, yeah, and we had nothing for like seven years. That sucked. Car getting repossessed, it sucked. Average work week for all employees uh, on non-farm payroll edged down. This edging down is also a sign, especially here in manufacturing. See, manufacturing had more of an edge down, 0.2 hours. Uh, this edging down is a reversal from January's report. You want to see more of this because, again, you do not want to see the conditions for a wage price spiral. That's why I'm cheering the less pricing power. Again, it's not to be offensive to people. It's just simply to say we do not want pricing power right now. We don't want employees feeling like they can keep getting raises, 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 raises because that's just going to lead Jerome Powell to Paul Volcker us. And if he Paul Volcker's us, I guarantee you everybody's worse off because then companies go bankrupt. Now is not the time to ask for more money. You know, let's get through 2023. Anyway, this is insane. So so anyway, let's see what else do we have here. Market is now reducing the chances of a 50 BP hike. Yesterday, th they were hot. I mean, the market was pricing in like a 70% chance of a 50 basis point hike uh in 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 march here march 22nd this report now cooling those expectations again this is fantastic uh inflation report obviously cpi on the 14th is going to be a big deal employment of temporary service helpers is considered a leading indicator of the labor market actually increased for the second month after falling for two months it shows uh at least some remaining tightness okay temporary service helpers 
Now, interestingly, something that you're seeing with temp jobs is a lot of people taking second, third, and fourth jobs, right? So, and I know that sounds crazy, but especially with a the remote these days, you are seeing that. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, again, I do wish the January data was revised down more. That's true. Uh, only a uh, 34,000 revision over the last two months and 13,000 revision for January is actually not that great. However, you are starting to see that wave of layoffs. Employment in IT has now decreased 54,000. 54,000 tech jobs gone since November. As since October, you've lost 42,000 transportation and warehousing jobs in aggregate here. Slightly lower than expected. Wait, okay, blah, blah, blah. Good, 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 good. Okay, so so that's jobs. Break-even inflation's now as a reaction. Break-even's uh, still sitting about 2.42. Still a little hotter than the hole we were in, but massive plummet. Let me see what other revisions we have. Do we have any other revisions? No. Again, that inflation was great. Terminal Fed funds rate teetering now around 5.5, fell to as low as about 5.45 this morning, uh, sort of in volatile pre-market news here. But uh, 5.5 is the expected terminal right now, nicely down from that 5.65 uh, peak that we had. We'll take a quick look at treasures. You're still down 16 basis points on the two-year. And if we jump on over to the 10-year, uh, you're down 10.3 basis points. Now at 3.82. So uh, again, I, I would call this uh, a win. This is a successful employment report. This is showing the Fed's efforts are starting to work. Now, in my opinion, it's time to start slowing down because you're starting to see the, 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 the dominoes starting to fall in the banking world, and that's bad because we do not want to walk into a financial crisis. So how, how does all this stuff come together and change potentially the investing strategy going forward? Well, actually, in my opinion, this reiterates the volatile Nike swoosh. This report reiterates the volatile Nike swoosh. You're going to have pain like, uh, like a Silicon Valley bank going bankrupt nearly. They're technically not bankrupt yet, but, but they probably will be before the, the next few months are over. I would get my money out of there. Do not rely on FDIC if you have money in Silicon Valley Bank or really any small bank. Be careful. This is going to be a this is going to be a, a cluster f for even other small banks because people are going to go, oh my god, I want to take my money out of these other small banks and move into bigger banks. It'll actually help shore up companies like Bank of America and JPM or whatever. But it's very dangerous for the other small banks who don't go through the rigorous Federal Reserve stress tests that the uh, small or the larger banks have to go through. Uh, but again. You're going to get that sort of volatility. This report, you can wipe the swipe, sweat off your head. This is good. We're going in the right direction. Yes, I know the, the, the headline number came in still high, but again, those are jobs that we're getting in areas that are still either below trend or below pre-pandemic levels. Leisure has hospitality isn't even below trend. It's literally below pre-pandemic levels still. So totally normal. I'm happy about that. I am much more nervous about what's starting to happen to the banking sector. Jobs report, Good. Let's now get to CPI on the 14th, and hopefully we also get a relaxing CPI report. This is a good leading indicator for that CPI report, hopefully coming in smoothly. I'm hopeful. This is why indices are now turning green. I'm optimistic. But again, we don't want to be blind to the potential black swans that are coming our way. Uh, so anyway, check out those programs on Building Your Wealth, link down below, because they're awesome. You're going to get some pretty incredible perspective, especially on fundamental analysis and, and looking for red flags at companies, which companies are going to survive this recession. That, in my opinion, is where the big money is. So, okay, that's my take on the jobs report. Okay, now we need to talk about what's going on with 
this pending news on Silicon Valley Bank. There's talk about SRVB. Uh, let's see here. Silicon Valley Bank Financial Group news pending. Somebody say, yeah, it's halted. Okay, Silicon Valley Bank halted news pending. Stand by. Okay, we have pending news, halted to pending news, Silicon Valley Bank Capital 2 trading, okay, Biden administration is monitoring, oh god, Biden administration is monitoring possible Silicon Valley Bank contagion, Uh, yikes, Uh, Silicon Valley Bank financial 2031 bonds plunge, Uh, they're now trading at 15.5, oh my lord. Okay, so what that means is basically $100 tied up with Silicon Valley Bank for the next eight years is trading at a discount of $45. So $100 is only worth $55 right now for Silicon Valley bonds. That's literally what happens when banks trend towards bankruptcy. Banks that trend towards bankruptcy start going, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good. Uh, and the bond market starts pricing in a potential bankruptcy, you go bankrupt, those bond people, they ain't getting their money back. So people are starting to dump Silicon uh, uh, Valley Bank bonds because they're actually worried about the potential for a bankruptcy. Rip. Yikes, yikes, yikes. And this is exactly why you have uh, Bill Ackman coming in uh, to call for a bank bailout already, which is absolutely insane. Uh, Just uh, totally nutty. Okay, so then we've got (laughs) Silicon Valley Bank meltdown is a wake-up call. Yeah, no kidding. Good Lord. Let's take a look at how this thing's moving in the pre-market here. We've got some other things to cover as well. But uh, uh, Bitcoin's about to break 20,000. That's insane. Volatility's up like 18% on the VIX right now. You've got uh, uh, 20,300. Yeah, we actually broke it last night. No, this morning. Yeah, you broke to, uh, what do we have here? 19,500 on Bitcoin. Just over 20,000 again. Uh, probably, it looks like after the jobs report here. Tesla up about 2%, NASDAQ up about two-thirds of a percent now. The jobs report was good. Silicon Valley Bank, though, not. Yeah, they're they're, they're halted, both, both SIVB and, and uh, uh, SVB halted news pending yeah the news pending is going to be we're going bankrupt no guarantee but i mean i don't know maybe they won't say it that quickly uh but uh it's uh i guarantee you they they are freaking out right now because so many people are trying to get their money out of silicon valley bank yesterday the ceo actually was so generous with his time. The CEO gave a 10-minute conference call letting everybody know, don't worry, everything is fine. Are you kidding me? As if we've never heard that before? That's what Sam Bankman-Fried said just days before going bankrupt. Scary. Uh, Scary, scary, scary. All right. Uh, Let's get to the next topic here. So the next topic we got to cover, so we covered Silicon Valley Bank. We covered... This we, we need to talk about this potential real estate contagion because this is another disaster. Uh, and uh, there, there are two really important pieces that I want to cover on real estate. And, and I, I'm purposely going to reference pieces because I think most of you already know my position. By the way, we are ending uh, the opportunity to invest as an accredited investor for house hack uh, at the end of the month. 
uh, at the end of March. That's it. The fundraise for accredited is over. And uh, non-accredited will be very short and limited probably in April or May. It's, it's tentatively leaning closer to May. Uh, but accredited uh, and, and the bonus uh, warrants that come with that are, uh, are ending here at the end of March. Learn more at househack.com. Okay, let's get into this because this is another big deal. All right. Uh, give me one second here. Thank you, by the way, for being here. It's always enjoyable. Market open. Forbes is now saying that real estate has two more massive shoes to drop, and it's not good, especially in the face of a potential banking crisis that's now starting with a potential near collapse here of Silicon Valley Bank. I think they'll be bankrupt very soon. Their balance sheet is a complete disaster. They're losing money hand over fist. This video isn't about them. It's actually about real estate. Take a look at this, a Forbes piece here. Two more shoes to drop in the real estate market. Listen to this. The first shoe in the U.S. housing and commercial real estate market was the entire year of 2022. Consistent interest rate hikes, a significant reduction in sales volumes, and a cold, cold draft of real estate prices. We've already seen in a lot of areas, home prices are down from their peak 20%. Phoenix, Austin, Idaho, these areas are down 20% from peak. The only place that's really holding up is South Florida and, and parts of northern Florida right now, but that's it. Most of the entire country is averaged down 10% from peak already. Here are sales volumes, net new orders for new homes down 15% LNR, 38% DR Horton, 80% on KB Homes. So what's the next? Well, take a look. Well, first, take a look at here. If commercial real estate firms, particularly in the office market or for them, conditions remain dire, according to recent studies, 71% of office space could support four times their current usage. Uh, in other words, you're seeing a lot of sort of uh, consolidating of, of office space. Uh, so what's next to happen? Audits. Listen to this. Most real estate private equity firms have a December year end and must provide audited financial statements to banks and investors by the end of March or April. Because December 21 was literally the lowest interest rate environment in history while rents were rising very quickly, the value of real estate was near gravityless. Fast forward to the end of 2022, and what do you have? Many real estate investors have not proactively reassessed the value of their real estate holdings. And now, thanks to higher interest rates, what's potentially likely to happen? A massive write-down of privately held real estate values. And ultimately, because you're seeing a slowdown in rents and incomes and a slowdown in pricing, especially in commercial real estate, you can see some massive write-downs in real estate valuations for any company holding real estate right now. We saw this, I mean, this writing on the wall has been here for over a year now. You could look at open doors, balance sheets, and, and uh, I mean... Uh, was uh, from memory six months ago, I called for at least a write down of a 20% uh, loss on their real estate holdings, which puts them at almost negative because they have somewhere around $6.6 billion in assets, but then somewhere around $6 billion in debt. But as soon as you write down 20%, you actually have more debt than you have assets. That's how you go bankrupt, open door. Anyway, they ended up taking a 10% write down. Personally, I think they've got another 10 to 15% to go because the other thing is open doors properties are trash compared to actual properties on the market. Go through any open door listing, I guarantee you, you almost vomit. 
That's been at least my experience. I've been traveling around from my real estate startup, Househack, househack.com, and every open door listing I go into, we see the sign and we're like, oh, we already know what we get. We're going to get. And sure enough, we go in, low-quality garbage. The write-downs are going to be pretty insane. But anyway, audit season is the moment of truth for real estate with significantly fewer transactions and fewer comps to compare properties to. Real estate investors are going to have to defend their values for the first time since the rate spike in the next two months. Now, what's remarkable is that actually aligns with the FUD cycle of when I think you're actually going to see the year-over-year comparisons in real estate values, where all of a sudden you're going to get Tucker Carlson and CNBC and and CNN or whatever going, oh my gosh, year-over-year home prices are down over 10%. That's going to put the fear of God into home buyers at the same time as inventory generally surges in March, April, May. Right now, yes, we are at very low inventory levels. Duh, everything expires December 31st. Of course you have low inventory levels the first three months of the year. When that ramps is probably going to align with not only these audit write-downs, but also with those year-over-year panic numbers for real estate. Peak fear for real estate is still ahead of us, my opinion. All of this revaluing is happening right now will last for the next 60 to 90 days. Why is this important? If an investor's loan-to-value maximum with their lender is 80%, as in the bank will only lend you 80%, even if, uh, even if the value of your property drops, what happens if the investor owes the bank more than what they're willing to lend you? You either have to pay the loan back or give the bank more cash. This is basically a margin call on commercial real estate. Not all loans have this. This is why I love the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage that we have in America. Because even if you go upside down on your real estate, you don't have to pay any more money to the bank. This is something known as a remargining provision. A remargining position or provision allows a bank to call you up and say, hey, look, this is a commercial loan. This is a business loan. The value of your asset has fallen. You're screwed. Pay up. Well, you pay up. What happens? Now, cash that might be available to go buy deals at certain real estate firms are actually paying down their debt instead of going to buy deals. Now you have even less people capable of even buying in real estate. See how these dominoes are starting to align? It's not good. Be patient with buying real estate. Real estate, where we are in the real estate cycle, it would make sense to wait until we are past the bottom and then buy. That's very, very important. Remargining is very dangerous, and that's coming. Again, you don't have that on 30-year fixed rate loans. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, and by the way, if you want to learn everything I know about real estate, Patty, St. Patty's week or day, whatever, there's a coupon that's already active. Link down below for the programs on building your wealth. Do yourself property management. We've got uh, zero to millionaire real estate investing. That's the most popular. Generally, people bundle that with stocks and psychology and money. Anyway, you know that. Link down below. Uh, I actually, on uh, the plane that I have, made sure that I had a 20-year term fixed, no variable rate, and no remargining provision. I purposefully made sure I did not have a remargining p- provision because if the value of my plane goes down, I don't want to put more money into that sucker. That's bad because I want my money to go buy deals. Anyway, this most of the time you don't have the privilege or the luxury to say, I don't want a remargining provision. So what do we have over here? The current financial market conditions are dramatically tighter. Owners who may have been safe in recent years could now be forced to find other financing options or become forced sellers. Well, that's the other issue. If you're walking into a freaking banking crisis and banks are calling you up going, yo, pay up. And you're like, dude, I don't have any money. And the bank's like, well, then go borrow it from someone. And then you go, okay, well, who's going to lend it to me? Certainly not Silicon Valley Bank. How about you lend it to me, lender? The lender's like, hey, yeah, no, no, no. We are remargining. We're not lending you more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very scary. Uh, let's see here. 
I feel like if I'm waiting to know when to buy, all I need to do is wait for Kevin to start buying with house hack. Shh, don't get the secrets away. <laughs> no, don't copy me. Don't, don't, <laughs> uh, not financial advice. Anyway. Uh, those who have been kicking the valuation can down the road may be forced to acknowledge the fact that interest rates are up. Even if they're performing well, banks may force them to answer the question, do your loans meet the value test? Next, taxation. Now, this is actually really interesting. I'm going to sum it up, though. When property values go down, tax revenues go down. Smaller towns that are not well capitalized could literally go bankrupt. It has happened before. It will happen again. Then property taxes go up, austerity measures go in, property values go down even more because they have to start shutting down fire departments or whatever. I kid you not, cities will shut down your fire departments. Not all of them, obviously. But people think I'm crazy when I say that. It literally happened in the city that I live in, which I know I'm in Florida right now. Literally happened. Ventura, California. They couldn't raise their local taxes anymore, and they're so terrible at managing money. What happened? They said, all right, we're closing fire station four. And guess what? response times for the fire department and paramedics up like 20% because the fire department closed down. Yeah, it can happen. And guess what that does? Lowers property values even more. It's insane. So anyway, I'm speeding through this part because uh, I, I think that's that's obvious, but I think it feels a little bit more arcane. The next thing obviously would be that being that forced seller, right? And that's that's scary. And look at this. The short answer is we'll probably know by summer. Yeah. So that's Forbes right here telling you, uh-oh, You've got a pretty big oopsie-doopsie potentially coming for real estate. But it's not just Forbes who's complaining about this. It's also Bloomberg. Bloomberg had a phenomenal piece on this, and it really gives you the worry about a commercial real estate. Some people think commercial real estate is a good investing opportunity right now. Biggest value trap you could touch right now is commercial real estate. Look at this. Even wealthy landlords are skipping payments on office buildings. Commercial real estate investors, uh, let's see here, but, 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 interest, rising interest rates and remote work will bring more defaults to downtowns near you. Uh, okay. Oh, here's the news. Hold on. On Silicon Valley Bank, Silicon Valley Bank Financial is in talks to sell itself. <laughs> Dude, nobody's going to buy them. They got a bunch of toxic assets. I mean, then again, J.P. Morgan bought Bear Stearns for a fraction pennies on the dollar. But anyway, what do we have over here? Take Pacific Investment Management Co. Funds managed by the $1.7 trillion asset manager acquired by Columbia Property Trust, which owned 15 office buildings in New York, SF, Boston, Washington, D.C. Uh, let's see here. What do we have here? Acquired. Okay. High-quality office buildings in major U.S. city offer long-term value. So you've got somebody here. Uh, this is in 2021. In 2021, even after offices empty during the pandemic, funds managed by the $1.7 trillion asset manager, which owned 15 buildings, uh, it, it, it worth $3.9 billion. Got it. Okay, so, so they were bullish then. So what are they saying? Or not. Last month, this company defaulted on $1.7 billion of mortgages. Okay, so in other words, they're bragging about how great commercial real estate is. And then what are they doing over here? Now they're defaulting on $1.7 billion worth of mortgages. Look at that. What do you think defaults on mortgages do? Defaults on mortgages ruin the banking crisis even more. This just makes everything even worse. Those mortgage-backed securities that are sitting on the balance sheets of J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citibank, Wells Fargo, they're becoming literally toxic. You can look them up. Again, they're, they're, uh, you could go to the uh, the balance sheets of these companies uh, and then type in uh, – usually you could do CMBS. 
Those are uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities. That's a search you could do for them. Uh, you could do MBS searches. Either way, uh, you'll find them in the reports for these companies. And it's scary because a lot of them are going to get written down substantially. There's a reason why JP Morgan has an unrealized loss in their 10K ending December of 2022. We don't even have all of the write-downs yet for commercial real estate. And they already show a loss, an unrealized loss of over $47 billion. It's insane. It's scary. It, some of this stuff is scary. Anyway, so now you're getting a default over here. Anyone who recalls the 2008 financial crisis and the housing bubble bursting also might remember the scorn heaped on homeowners who stopped paying mortgages because their houses were hopelessly underwater. They may now find it ironic that some of Wall Street's most prestigious companies are threatening a similar behavior. Yet for institutional investors, defaults can be a strategy to open the door to debt restructuring. Debtors with commercial mortgage-backed securities must at least technically default on their loans before they can renegotiate terms. Commercial mortgage-backed securities are non-recourse debt, which means borrowers can walk away and creditors can't go after their own assets. In other words, you look at the balance sheets for some of these companies like Silicon Valley Bank, and what happens? What do you find on them? Oh, crap commercial mortgage-backed securities. What did Bloomberg just tell us? These people could just walk away from these assets. They could literally walk away from them. Look at this. Here's Silicon Valley Bank's 10K, end of last year. What do we have right here? $1.4 billion in agency commercial-backed mortgages right here. Another $1.4 billion right here. Agency mortgage-backed securities, another $6.6 .6 billion. This company's going BK. Especially when you write down another one, they, they, that's, if they were had to write this down, that's their entire income for last year. That's gone. Uh, not that obviously you would write it down 100%, but it's, it's showing you the, the real risk is not only commercial real estate, but it's also the banking sector. And that's a disaster because that's when you get J-Pow who comes in and goes, oh, crap, we broke things. I mean, look at this. Uh, Elon Musk isn't paying his rent at Twitter at certain places, certain parts he's not using anymore. He's basically – this is called self-evicting. What you do is you basically move out of part of an office, and then you're like, ah, we don't need that space anymore. We're just not going to pay. Uh, okay, so we talked about the strategic buy-down. Amazon is pausing construction for its second headquarters near Washington. Facebook has reduced the amount of space it has leased to New York. Today, the average office usage is about 50% of pre-pandemic levels, which could be the new norm. This is terrible news, by the way, for the commercial mortgage-backed security market. Investors were hopeful that more people would return to the office. Oopsie doopsies. That's why it's called a value trap, baby. Office building values have already fallen 25% from just a year ago. Yeah, you're going to have to write that down even more. Another problem is that investors have simply paid too much. The fund, see, this is, I, oh my gosh. I, I'll tell you, let me just like, if I could grab your shoulders in real life right now, and then we'll go have a beer later, okay? I would grab your shoulders and go, Wall Street doesn't understand ground floor real estate. They overpay all day long. They have all this money. And, and they're MBAs from fancy uh, colleges, and nobody learns boots on the ground real estate. No, nobody understands the value of actually getting a good deal anymore, and it's scary. This is why I, I'm doing house hack. It's, it's, it's to buy homes under market value. There's an arbitrage opportunity, and most of Wall Street doesn't get it. I mean, they literally are willing to overpay for stuff. That's, that, that's Wall Street for you. Oh, we'll overpay for real estate so we can get our asset under management fee. It's a fraud. It's not actually fraud. It's just the way the system is. But it, it, it's uh, if, I, if I have any say in it, we're going to change it. That's why I'm trying to create the vanguard of real estate with my startup, House Hack, accredited investors.
HowStack.com. Anyway, the fundamentals of offices have been deteriorating since before. Even with a strong jobs market and booming corporate profits, landlords had to boost concessions such as free rent to be able to attract tenants. This is another scam right here. This is another big scam. You ready for this? Okay, here's what companies do now. I kid you not. This is how people get scammed in real estate all the time. They look at the rent rolls for a property and they're like, oh, the cash flow is so wonderful. Wow. You rent all of those two bedroom, one bath units for $2,000 a month. That's fantastic. But what they don't tell you is when tenants sign up, they're potentially getting two or three months rent free. Well, say, think about that. If you're giving three months rent free, let's just say, on a $24,000 annual lease, $2,000 a month, right? Three times two is six, right? What you've just done is you've actually discounted the rents by 25% to get the property rented, right? But guess what? The person, the sucker who buys the property doesn't realize that the rents are inflated. They're like, oh yeah, these two and ones are getting uh, 2,000 bucks a month. Ha ha ha. The reality is they're only worth $1,500 a month. So now you're overpaying for real estate on top of that. I'm telling you, there's so much, dare I say, near fraud in, in real estate. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, but anyway, and people don't get it. They just they want, oh, I just want to see you, you know, your projections. It's, it's insane. Anyway, even with a strong jobs market booming corporate profits, landlords have to give free rent to attract the tenants. The underwriting that people that people made when they bought the buildings had no relation to reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. The deal underwriting is complete garbage in, in real estate. It's, it's so sad. There's fundamentally unsound econo uh, economics behind the deals. The outlook is far grimmer today than in 2021. The Federal Reserve is forecasting the unemployment rate will rise to 4.6% by the year end. Even when the economy recovers, it's clear that many buildings will never recover. Owners are exploring conversions to housing. Oh, that's hell, dude. But those deals won't make a dent in office supply in the short term because of zoning, exorbitant costs, and the complexities of engineering. Do not think you can go turn strip malls into homes easily. It ain't happening. Nobody wants a parking lot as their front lawn. Uh, the, the amount of redevelopment, it's, it's insane. It's insane. We can't even build enough normal homes on dirt. And people think somehow we're going to turn a bunch of commercial buildings into homes in a jiffy. It ain't happening. Uh, even when they count, okay, great. Short sellers are betting that more debt tied to offices will go into default. Completely agree. Hedge funds, uh, including whomever right here, are using credit default swaps. It's 2008 all over again. Oh, my God. Uh, known as CMBX uh, to wager against bonds tied to office buildings, similar to previously successful bids against shopping mall debt by Carl Icahn and Michael Burry. Wow. I don't think this is the big short, but there is going to be a lot of distress in office. There could be an opportunity for many of the biggest investors, which still have piles of money and are poised to pounce. They're waiting for a lot of these buildings to go back to the banks. Well, if they go back to the banks, man, more banking stress. That's what you're literally facing, even more banking stress. And it's scary because of what's happening over at Silicon Valley Bank. It's it's very scary. You, you don't want you don't want to see this. The sucker's down 45% in pre-market. It's insane. It looks like it's actually rebounded a chunk since the pre-market. I think it was down to something like 30 bucks uh in in the pre-market. It's popped up a little bit now because you have this talk about uh oh their capital raise failed. 
Ah, uh, yep, see, there you go. Silicon Valley Bank capital raise failed, now in talks to sell itself. Well, duh, because the stock plummeted. Of course, uh, uh, their, their raise failed. Uh, I don't, I, I'm still actually seeing on some sites here that we're actually on a halt on uh, SVB still. So, so we'll see. That's going to be pretty volatile. But uh, good luck. I don't know who wants to buy a bank right now with a bunch of toxic assets. But what it does do is potentially lead the Fed to slow down. Uh, I know everybody's still talking about this potential for 50 BP. No way, Jose. Now with a potential banking crisis afoot. Wait for the dust to settle. I actually I actually think there's a greater likelihood of no rate hike than there is of a 50 BP rate hike at this point. It's This is insane. Alrighty. So that gives us a little bit of an update here. Alright, I gotta go to the course member live stream soon, but let's do a little... Brief brief bit of Q&A. Grab me by the shoulders, buy me dinner first. Ooh. <laughs> uh, welcome to the gulag. Oh, my gosh. I will start my bid at $1. Oh, SH9T, bro, when you put it like that. Yeah. Uh, a large profit from a lack of trust has been proven to be well-capitalized. The large banks maybe suggest they're well-capitalized, but I mean, I... I don't know. I still Okay, we talked about that. The housing market declines. We answered that. Any Silicon Valley companies affected most by Silicon Valley Bank? I would venture to say mostly it's going to be uh, startups who need loans, credit lines, because credit lines are going to get frozen at Silicon Valley Bank, right? So uh, keep in mind, by the way, I'm, I'm live every morning around this time here, so I'd... Um, I love it if you wanted to get sort of the day's news every day. We cover the most uh, pressing topics of the day uh, every day. Usually I'm streaming by around 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. Eastern time. Sometimes I start streaming earlier. But anyway, uh, yeah, any kind of private equity companies uh, or, or private investments that you've made into Silicon Valley-style companies, startups uh, that that are not profitable or don't have a path to profitability, who, who need access to uh, credit lines like that, very risky right now. Very, very risky. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but yeah, that's a problem. Uh, okay. Kevin, there's a major crisis brewing in Florida because insurance companies are collapsing and new rules on condo reserve owners are uh, are, seeing their H are seeing their HOA fees doubling and tripling. I don't see how we don't have a major collapse. Well, that is true. The insurance crisis in Florida is something else to absolutely pay attention to when it comes to Florida. That's why I watch your stream every day. Oh, thank you for saying that, Harris. Okay, uh, look, this is insane. I'm very curious to see what happens with Silicon Valley Bank. Overall, decent jobs report here. Glad uh, the jobs report came in the way it is. Wow, the 10 years plummeting. Down 15 basis points right now, 3.77. Ironically, that's actually good for real estate. Uh, I re really doubt Silicon Valley Bank is going to be able to pull off selling itself, but we'll see what happens here. Futures whipsaw. Yeah, no kidding. Disaster. Janet Yellen affirms inflation goal. Yeah, whatever. Okay. I'm going to run to the course member live stream and make another cup of coffee. Go to course member live stream. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it all. This is, this is insane. We're going to have to watch this story very, very closely. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Uh, oh, wait, somebody donated $9 here. Do you think that if something breaks like banks, it would be a good time to flip into quickly buying or wait for a bit more? Depends, man. It depends what the Fed does. I mean, usually when the Fed pivots, that's that's like a potential sign at the bottom, right? When they actually start like the real U-turn. Uh, you have to be careful because there have been there have been like there's there's a difference between the Fed doing sort of the, okay, we're going to slow rate hikes, like uh, a pivot that you got in 2001 or the pivot that you got in 2019. 
uh, and uh, or even the rate cuts from 20, 2006, right? Because a lot of pain was still ahead of you. There's a difference between that and the Fed actually coming in to bail out markets, which is what they did in uh, March of 2003, marked the bottom of the market. February of 2009, marked the bottom of the market. Uh, December of 2018, this is the bottom, uh, and so on and so forth. Anyway, all right, got to go. Thank you so much. Goodbye.